Learn Persian with Chai and Conversation, Growing Up Iruni, interview with Arya Shahi. This is Leila Shams, and I'm so excited to share with you my interview with Arya Shahi, author of the fantastic new debut novel, An Impossible Thing to Say. It's coming out this week, September 26, 2023. So no matter when you are listening to this interview, please drop everything and go buy it. You will love it. So as a brief introduction, Arya Shahi is an Iranian-American multidisciplinary artist. He is a co-founder of Pig Pen Theater Company, the award-winning theater company and band. With Pigpen, Arya has written, directed, and performed in original musicals, as well as books adapted for stage. Arya's debut novel, An Impossible Thing to Say, has been published by HarperCollins, and Arya will direct the Pulitzer Prize-winning English play at the Old Globe in early 2024. We actually ended up recording this interview on September 11th, which is interesting because September 11th was a big part of this novel, an impossible thing to say. I'd been looking forward to talking to Arya for a long time, and our conversation did not disappoint. We could have talked for hours more. He's really an ideal guest for this podcast, and we talked about so many of the issues I hear from a lot of you about all the time. I hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Well, Arya Shahi, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you. Merci, I'm merci. so excited to talk to you. We we came across each other, or I guess it was a post that I did um, about uh, I love you. <laughs> I don't want to give too much away, too. There's like spoiler alerts, right? <laughs> totally, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, Let's get right to it. Let's okay, get right to it. I know. Can you just read the last five pages? <laughs> 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 um, I did a post about I love you versus I like you, and then you were like, I have, I've written a book, can we talk? Yeah. And so it was very, it was a big run up to reading this book. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, I mean, look, that, that's been with me my whole life, right? Like, I mean, like so much of what's in this book has been, has been with me my whole life. But like the I love you, I like you thing is wild to me. Like, yeah, which do you want to kind of, do you want to tell people yeah, yeah. a little bit? If yeah, they, yeah. If so for, for, for the non-Farsi speakers in the audience, in, in Farsi, I've always struggled with saying I love you to people in my family because you just kind of don't do it in Farsi. It's really wild to me because it's actually a pretty affectionate and, you know, passionate culture. <laughs> right. Um, but here we are as Americans throwing around the term, I love you, love you, bud, love you, bro, love you, mom, love you, dad. And you actually can't do that in Farsi. So in Farsi, we say, uh, which is like, I really like you. I really, yeah, I really like you. That's about as <laughs> That's about as much love as you're going to get from a, from a parent. <laughs> yeah, literally. No, yeah, but, yeah. but since I was little too, I, we would do that at the end of phone calls. We'd say, okay, I love you. <laughs> oh, yeah. You just like default to that. But okay, going back. So we're here talking to Arya about his new book out, Impossible Thing to Say, which again, spoiler alert, that is the impossible that, thing that, to say. That is the impossible thing to say, yeah. Yeah, but I had such a wonderful time reading this book. I could not put it down. And I, I'm just going to show if anyone's watching this, this is both a podcast that you can listen to and it's also a video. So if you're watching, you can kind of see the structure of the book. Like I started reading it and I was like, oh, OK, I guess the first the first uh, page is about is in poetry, but it's the whole thing. It's yeah. really interesting. I've never read anything like it. It's so Aww. unique. 
and honestly, it seems like it's like written for uh, all of our Chai and Conversation listeners. <laughs> like the, I mean, it addresses every issue all of you have. That, write me <laughs> about language learning, about difficulties with parents, grandparents, the difficulty of growing up in the United States, being in a different culture. I mean, it is all there. And for me personally, I am a Shakespeare fanatic. I love Shakespeare. So I know, I know. So I started reading, I was like, is this going to have Shakespeare in it too? And it's, it's all Shakespeare, which I love. I mean, to me, whenever people are like, oh, Iranian poetry is amazing. You just can't do that with English. I'm like, have you read Shakespeare? Have you? (laughs) Because he's done some cool things with the English language too. But I think there's so many parallels with Shakespeare and Farsi. And anyway, so that's in there. And then there's the theme of you know, talking in different languages and who you are as a person when you're talking different languages. I mean, it's all there. So thank you for writing this book. <laughs> that, that's the end of the interview. Thank you. <laughs> Everyone go read the book. That's great. <laughs> that's that's all I need. That's, uh, you know, I love that. It's, it's, it's wild to hear you speak about that. I mean, I think that's why we've, I've always been such a fan of what you do. And, and it's kind of surreal to be on, on the show with you because, you know, you are one of kind of the the ambassadors of of that right of that not only the persian language but also like the idea of what it means to learn a language yeah it's it's a really fascinating process and i i'm so fortunate to be able to like create a lot of work that wrestles with this right you know for people that don't know i'm i'm actually from the theater background i'm a playwright and actor and I, all my formal training is as, as an actor so i find myself continuously pulled into this idea of what what happens when when people can't understand each other but my my core my core experience with that in my life was with my grandparents. So I think a lot of people, when they don't understand each other, revert to a place of, you know, maybe expecting malice or questioning people's intentions. And because my core experience with that was with my grandparents, that's just never where I go. I never go there. I always go to, I, I'm, I'm assuming the best of this person because I want to you know, I want to love them and I want them to love me. And that's kind of bled into how I, I create my work. And it's, it's really actually kind of scary to have this conversation because I've done so many interviews with, I, I'm in a group called Pigpen and we've done so many interviews over the years, but it's never really been about Iranian culture, right? Like I, this is the first time I've kind of tackled the thing, wow. the thing that has just been under the surface for all, for my whole life. It's exciting. It's yeah, it's exciting. Very cool. Well, I'm so curious. So First of all, again, like I said, everyone should read this book. I don't want to give too many spoilers about the book, but I am wondering just in general, how much of this is like autobiographical? It sounds like it's pretty, is this just your life story or is Omid Arya? <laughs> Omid is a thinly veiled avatar for Arya. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. How thin? Pretty thin. Uh, no, uh, you know, we're not going to get to the logistics of memoir or uh, yeah, uh, autobiography. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. No, 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 no. Actually, I, I'm happy to have the conversation. I think it's 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 important. I took so many of the things that happened to me over the course of maybe 10 years and put them into four months of this kid's life. So okay. I think by that mere fact, he's different than I am. I think he's right. he's dealing with a lot much more quickly than I had to. And I mean, his name is Omid Sultani and my name is Arya Shahi. So there's like a little, there's a little <laughs> nod for you, for the, for the Farsi speakers out there. I mean, they both kind of mean King or both of our last names have similar meanings, but yeah, to be honest, as I was writing, I couldn't stick to memoir because 
I think that's just a different form than I'm used to. And I needed some thing to draw me out of my own life and allow me to kind of write as a writer rather than like as a journalist. But like, I feel like memoirs and autobiogra- autobiographies are kind of like journalism of your life. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, that it wasn't resonating with me. So I, so I, I placed kind of like a plot bomb in the middle of the book that never happened to me. Dorud everyone, Layla here with a quick message. If you're enjoying this conversation and would like to hear more like it, I highly encourage you to sign up for our newsletter. In addition to giving you updates about our interviews, we send out a weekly email where we talk about Iranian culture and the Persian language. The emails are short and sweet and just give you a few ideas to ponder and inspire you on your learning journey. You can sign up for that and find out a lot more about us on our website at chaiinconversation.com with chai spelled C-H-A-I. Now, back to the interview. And that allowed me to really think of Omid as separately, as a different person than I, than I am. So, so yeah, so, so a lot of it is based on my, my life, but there are some big things that happened to him, one in particular that just didn't happen to me, and that really opened me up. Got it. So then the whole experience of your grandparents coming from Iran, that did happen to you? That did, yeah. Okay, yeah. so then what was that like? So at this point, like Omid in the story can understand Persian, but he can't really speak it. So tell me, putting the book aside, tell me about your childhood. Like, where were you? Were you born in Tucson? And were you, what was, <laughs> tell me that's, everything. No, that's great. Uh, yeah, it is funny. Uh, no, I was born in San Diego, but then my parents moved to Tucson when I was like five months old. I think they were, you know, back and forth between California and Arizona before I was born. And then when I was born, I think they, they decided to set up shop in Tucson, Arizona, which is funny because I see echoes of that in my own life now. Like I'm 36, I'm thinking about having kids. And I'm like, oh man, that's a big decision when the first kid comes along, you know? So we moved back to Tucson or uh, I was an infant and I was raised there. And yeah, one of the big differences between me and Omid is I actually went to Iran a couple of times before, before my grandparents moved to the States. So th- those were really formative experiences. I went to Iran pre 9-11 twice. And I started realizing that there was something really weird happening culturally when you go to somewhere that you think you're going to fit in and you don't because you're American. How but old were you the first time? I think I was maybe fourth or fifth grade. Okay. Like young, maybe even younger, maybe like third grade. And then the second time was like six. And how grade. was your, like, what was your experience with the Persian language? I absorbed it like a okay. sponge. So, so my, the, so Omid's kind of trajectory in the book with the language is mine as well. Like I spoke fluently when I was a kid, I was, you know, doing the Hafez and the Rumi, like in, at the Maimonis, like that was me when I was like three and my parents nice. were like, Oh, this kid is like, you know, this is, this is our, our star child. And then I started school and I just stopped speaking Farsi because it just didn't, make sense. And my parents were really, I think, consciously trying to support me in, you know, making friends and, and, and fitting in and assimilating. And so when I went back to Iran, I soaked it all in. And I think my Farsi was so, it was like kind of, it was really coming back to me in a big way. But yeah, yeah. It's, I, I mean, it's, it's, I think, I think of language as a muscle that you just have to work out and you have to practice it. And when you don't practice it, it, it goes away. Right. So, and yeah. you had a sibling as well? Yeah. Yeah. His name's Artin. Younger? Younger. Okay. Yeah. And then what was his, what was his like language experience? Was he speaking as much as you or? No, you know, me and our team uh, to this day are a little competitive about whose Farsi is better. And when I okay. say, and when I say better, I mean, just passable. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> but our teen and I, I think we're on very similar paths. I think our teen had later in life when, when he got to college, he had more Iranian friends than I did. Mm-hmm. So he started speaking socially and then there was a moment where I think his Farsi got a little bit better than mine because he had friends to speak it with. And then, right. and then I started 
I think really caring more about wanting to speak and uh, to this day, I don't know who's is better, but no, we're on very, we're on very similar paths. And when similar. was it that your grandparents, did they move to the U.S.? They did. Same so as, they, okay. Yeah. They moved, they moved here. My mom's parents moved here. My, actually both sets of parents, grandparents moved to the oh, States. Oh, wow. Yeah, to both. Tucson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The second set is not in the book at all. My dad's okay. parents are not in the book, but, but yeah, my mom's, they, they all moved to the States eventually. So everyone was there and that was really unique and, and lovely. And how was your relationship with them? Like, what was the language trajectory with them? Was it like it was in the book where you just had a lot of difficulty talking to them? Yeah. How was it? Yeah. Lots of miming. Yeah. Right. <laughs> lots, yeah. lots of miming, lots of body language stuff. I, I, to be totally honest, I think I got in my own way. I just, okay. I was, I was just too ashamed. I was too ashamed right. to, to well, speak it. I don't think that's totally on you. I think that that's something that I'm realizing more and more as I'm doing this program. A lot of people like, you know, we have a very critical culture and I think that it gets in the way of people mm. being open to trying things and like making mistakes. And so if a kid comes and speaks, you know, Persian, we're immediately like, oh, why isn't it better? Like, why do you have an accent? Why is this? Why is that? And people get embarrassed. So that's actually something we it's taken me years to figure this out. I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. this is why like you can't, you know, in American culture, you get a certificate for just trying. And like, we do not do that. You don't get a certificate for not getting an A plus, you know, you get criticized. I, I actually, this is amazing that you're saying this because it's a, it's, it's resonating in a really huge way. I realized later in life when I was in college. So I know you, you started this podcast about Nimruniz, right? Like, yes. Half, yeah. Yeah. Raising and, Nimruniz. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And my, so my parents are both Persian, both Iranian, right. but my mom's sister married an American my uncle Roy and their kids are half. And I remember coming back from college at this point, I was at Carnegie Mellon and I, I came back home and I realized my youngest cousin, her name's Layla, and she's half American and half Iranian. And she is like speaking Farsi with my grandparents. And I'm uh -huh. like, and I'm just like, I, I, my first, my first thought was how brave <laughs> yeah. I was. I was like, wait. And I think it's because and again, I'm not blaming anyone or, or anything, yes. but, but like, I, I think it's because there was such a cultural expectation of me absolutely being like, I'm the oldest on both sides. I'm the oldest boy. Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah. I, I was the first, you know, born in America. And like, there was such a weight of like, oh, his Farsi is not, he's not Iranian. Like what's going on here? Right. Whereas with Layla, she's the youngest girl and she's just like, I want to connect with my roots and her and her, her and my grandmother have this wonderful relationship oh, to this day. Oh my goodness, amazing. And my grandma now speaks English because she wanted to learn so that she could speak with Layla in her native. Wow. Like it's one of the coolest things I've gotten to experience. And it taught me a lot about yeah. how this is a very different process for people. So yeah, so so yeah, I think there is a there's a little bit of a weight of expectation. Yes. On Iranians, but it's it's fascinating to me about Nimruniz because like I you know my wife is my wife is white and I've been thinking a lot about like wow how does this how does my experience translate to my kids and it's gonna yeah be yeah I'll ask you about that later too I'm excited to hear your thoughts but there's one passage in the book that I particularly loved where like Baba Jun the grandfather in the story is uh, talking I think you're he's on the phone with Omid saying all this stuff like this is how I think things are this is it and at the end Omid just says merci Baba Jun but he has all these thoughts. He's like, I don't think he was totally right. I don't think he was, you know, I want to like have a nuanced conversation. But it's fascinating how the level of language you talk affects 
how much nuance you can have even like mm-hmm. things become black and white things get dumbed down you can't really tell the you know your true feelings the way you could if you had a really good grasp of language yeah i mean that's that's a feeling that i that's straight from my life i think it's straight from a lot of our lives right is that you are limited by your language in in ability in your ability to even define yourself forget about like having a conversation i think it's really hard when uh, at least for for me as a, as, a, as a person who values language i mean this happens everywhere i went to japan on my honeymoon and i was there for three weeks and i loved every moment of it but i i was getting really tired of feeling stupid right i was, right. I, was I felt i just felt so stupid by the end of that trip because i was like no i'm i'm like i promise i have thoughts <laughs> i promise i have thoughts and and yeah. to have that feeling in your own family is like it's a lot to carry around i think so i have to i have to show them that i love them and try to communicate my personality and it's funny, you know, I do speak Farsi more than I'm probably putting on right now or letting on right now, but all of my Farsi is like in an effort to communicate my sense of humor and my my con- like my contextual awareness, right? Oh, how I, interesting. I, yeah, it's all like you know, expressions and swear words and like just like the stuff that I know, it's like almost like virtue signaling, you know? Right, in right. both in both contexts. Like when I Whenever I meet another Iranian American, this has been happening a lot lately. You know, where I think the community is having this huge like renaissance right now. Absolutely, I'll like drop into Farsi every couple of sentences just uh-huh. to virtue signal that like, yo, like I know it, but I'd rather stay in English. <laughs> like, there's always that moment where like you meet a brand new Iranian American and you don't know where they're at on the spectrum because you're like, right. oh, are, are, did you grow up like in like Tehranjelis? Like, are you about to like just go for it? And I'm like, right. oh, I'm I can't do that. Right. But I'm gonna. I'm going to acknowledge that I love the language by using it in the way that I can. Sorry. Yeah. I just ran. Yeah. Well, this also made me, I mean, just talking like this for the first time, like made me feel this immense sadness for our parents' generation. for like always feeling that way. Like they never had that grasp of English, you know, like, so in the family, maybe like we feel that way with them when speaking Farsi, but then they just like go out in the world and they're constantly not like seen as a complete human as they are. Oh, I mean, have you have you um really ha- hard. have you read or or seen the play English that just came out last year? I I didn't see English. I saw the other one. Yeah, the, wish you, wish wish you, you were here. here. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So what was? I, I mean, I I just bring that up because English is is exactly what you were just talking about. It's wow. the it's the experience of it's actually about Iranians in in two thousand eight, and I'm I'm about to direct the production of it in San Diego, which I'm really oh, excited amazing. about. Amazing, yes. amazing. Okay, I get to direct English at the Old Globe and. And it's, it feels like a really beautiful moment because it's kind of the reverse of the story yeah. that I just spent three years telling, which is like an American trying to learn Farsi, or Iranian-American trying to learn Farsi. This is about a bunch of Iranians trying to learn English and, and maybe leave the country because they're in, they're in Kataj in 2008. And, and yeah, it, 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 it's exactly that, right? Like I think our commonality is that we, we struggle across generation and across cultural divide because... Yeah, I think I think our you know the diaspora has been just blown apart since 1979, and I think we're all in different places and right. looking looking for that community. And, and language is a big part of that, man. Language is yeah. the, the one of the biggest parts of that. Right. Which another big thing that you explore in this book is the modes of language as well, like both the modes of like you mentioned theater, like using someone else's words yeah. and interpreting it through your own experiences and your own body. And then, you know, Omid gets really into rap and that's a whole nother layer of like how to 
express yourself with a different way of communication. So all of these are just woven together in a really beautiful way. I really enjoyed Merci. <laughs> enjoyed every bit of it. But we are also recording this on September 11th. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, September 11th does play a big part in this book. I always love talking to Iranians that grew up in places other than Los Angeles. And, you know, we, we kind of have an idea of the experience of LA Iranians. But what was your experience as a Tucson Iranian of 9-11 and like everything that happened? That was a huge part of Omid's experience growing yeah. up. Yeah, it was. I mean, I think my experience was similar than as uh, uh, similar to a lot of kids uh, in that immediately all my experience was, was, okay, school's over today. Like school's over today, which is already weird, right? What I think, grade I think, were you in? You're 36, so you were in middle I was school. I was, I was a freshman. Freshman, okay. Freshman in high school, and yeah, I think I think school being over and and being sent home immediately, you know, something's up. I mean, I I, I mean, I, I actually put this in the book, but I, I, me and my mom, we heard about it driving to school on the morning on the morning radio show, and we literally thought it was a prank, like because they do just a bunch of prank calls. So we were like, okay, that's oh wow, that, that was like that's a weird, that's a that was weird, and then I just like jumped out of the car and went to school and then yeah and then it just wasn't a prank and i uh yeah i just remember a lot of feeling anxious but not for the reasons that we would culturally expect today like you don't know that it's going to be such a pivotal moment in history for me i was just an anxious kid i was just like terrified at the idea that anyone would fly a plane into a building that's like guys like that that's something that's just in the cultural landscape now that wasn't there for us we were like <laughs> It's so weird to think that like as a kid, I just kept thinking like, are, are we all just like uh, constantly on the brink of death? Like it, I was like a really anxious kid. And I think that's what stuck with me is that like I just witnessed this horrific tragedy on a global right. scale and I wasn't even thinking that like, oh, this is going to stick with you in a different way than all of your white friends. Yeah. It, was, it didn't even register for months. And maybe maybe I'm, you know. I think I also can't speak for 14 year old self because, you know, I do have 20 years of processing. So did it I, change the way your teachers talk to you or the way your classmates talk to you? Or I mean, I, tr I don't remember that stuff. OK. Uh, and I, I'm just being honest because I think sometimes there's so many, you know, there's so many stories of just outright racism and prejudice yeah and what was it like in tucson in general was it like were there was there a lot of diversity or what was the i don't no, know anything i mean i mean i grew up mexican <laughs> <laughs> right yeah yeah you know, so just, there I, were yeah. there were mexicans oh yeah i mean okay. absolutely yeah i grew up i grew up uh, uh latinx uh <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was it was great uh, yeah. <laughs> no i yeah there's there's diversity in that sense but in terms of just iranians i think i was like one of three kids that i really knew were iranian and and the community is very small. And other than that, it's predominantly white. And, you know, Tucson, I, I like to describe Tucson as kind of like a liberal bubble in, in, in um, Arizona. But even that is like contextually something like you have to consider the context because I've now lived in, you know, L.A. and New York. And right. Tucson's not a liberal city by, by, that, by those standards, but by Arizona standards, by, you know, comparing it to Phoenix, Scottsdale, those areas that it's, it's a much more it's much bluer. So. I don't know. These are all things that I continue to process, right? Like, yeah. I think we try to we try to label communities as being this or that, and I think Tucson wasn't. I think Tucson. I was in a very particular place. I was raised upper middle class, so I had a lot of privilege in that way. So I, I mean, I remember 
continually thinking into my you know early 20s that like you know we were living in the and this is really interesting because we're talking about 9-11 but then yeah. jump jump to 2008 and obama's elected and we're living in like a post-racial america and i saw that as like this reinforcement of my beliefs that like no no it's not about race it's about socioeconomic status like I was one of those kids, right? right? I was one of those like little little young Republicans, I guess. Right. Uh, right? And, and I'm not like I actually wasn't, but like right, but right, that right. was but that was a belief of like, oh, you know, maybe maybe this race thing is not as big of a deal as people make it out to be. And I, I've just been completely schooled by by life, by by aging, by really going back and reexamining things that were said. I there were plenty of microaggressions throughout my life. There right. were plenty of moments where I was terrified that something was gonna happen to my parents. And it was right. clearly because we were Iranian. There was no, there was no other reason for me to be scared. You right. know, airport security is like a traumatic thing. Like anytime a cop would be around, that was traumatic. Uh, I remember we did Charshan Besuri, and like just cops just showed up everywhere, and I was like, "Well, this is it. This is the end. Oh. <laughs> this is this is the end of yeah. of my family. We're all going to jail because of Charshan Besuri. Like, right. like these things. You know, like they they're in there. So, right. I, it's yeah, it's hard to really process because I don't, I don't. I don't like telling like particular anecdotes of like, this is when people called me these names because I think it's actually way more compounded than that. Right. Have you ever watched the show Pen15? Did no. you watch that? No. Oh, man. It has a really good example of that, of um, the girl is Asian. And then when she's little, like they make her be this character, this like they have her be like the servant character in this play that they're doing. And then, you know, at the time she's like, oh, we're having fun. We're like laughing. And then it's two 30 something year olds playing like 12 year olds. I know that. So, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So they have like the ability to like look back and be like, oh, that was yeah microaggression. Like you're saying that that was like all this stuff that when you're at the time, you can't really process it that way. It's just like when you go back and look at it. <laughs> I mean, that's right. That's in the book, right? Like so in, yeah. in, in Impossible, Omid gets cast as Bottom the Weaver in, exactly. in, in Midsummer, And and I played Bottom in my life. Twice. Uh, Interesting. And, I, and I, I love playing bottom. I loved playing, but that is like actually very much true to Aria. Like that bottom was my kind of path into acting wow. and, and and seeing like my friends respond to me being, you know, a clown and like right. a really, you know, and I, and I loved it. And I think <laughs> I, uh, when I, when I finished the book, I gave it to my, my fellow creators in, in Pigpen Theater Company. They're yeah. like, these guys are my brothers. We've been on, we've been together for 16 years. We've been all over the world together. And I've had some of the most thoughtful conversations with them about just like the, the world and life. And uh, one of the guys reads it and gives it back. And he's like, this is phenomenal. But you just wrote a novel about typecasting, like about how you've been typecast your whole life. And it's, it's, it's tough to kind of admit that that's one of the reasons I had to write it because I've always had, I've always struggled. I think any actor goes through this. I've always struggled with why am I being put in this part and not the part that I want? And I think that gets conflated into like, oh, you just have a big ego. You want a bigger part. And it's like, no, at a certain point, you know, you do this long enough and you recognize patterns and you have to take that into account. And I think there, I mean, this book used to be called The Weaver. So like I wrote the book and I called it The Weaver because I, I think that was just like, the essence of why I was writing. It was about Bottom the Weaver. It was about my dad who sells, who sells rugs. And it was about Omid who's weaving these cultures together, right? Um, right, right. And uh, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot in the book about that. And I don't know. I, that's, that's the other thing is like, I actually don't know what to talk about in the book because there's so much in there that I feel like there's different 
avenues yeah. in. And I thought it was so interesting that he's like, oh, this is a book about typecasting because that's not what I thought about when I was writing. Amazing. Yeah. Well, can you tell me a little bit about your journey to this book? So what did you study? So you have a theater background, you have a rapping background. Yeah. What is your trajectory from like, let's start from like college. Where did you study? Yeah. So I studied, I studied acting. I, I knew from a, a, as a kid, I played bottom in, in middle school and then again in eighth grade. And, oh, sorry. And then again in high school. And I was like, oh yeah, that's it. I'm going to be an actor. I'm, I, I, and, I, and so, so, you know, my parents did not have the traditional Middle Eastern reaction of like, don't do that. Really? What was their reaction? <laughs> my parents are awesome, man. They were, <laughs> okay, they, they were just like, yeah, yeah, you should definitely, you should, you should go and be the best Amazing. actor. I mean, like, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, it is weird. I'm, I'm again, I'm stuck in between being like a child of immigrants and also like being like a millennial who like was told that they can have everything, Amazing. <laughs> you know, so fantastic. My parents were very supportive. I went and I auditioned uh, at the very beginning in Tucson. I didn't really do any of my research because I was like, oh, yeah, I got this. I'm 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 set for life. I'm I'm the best. I'm one of the best actors who's ever lived as like, <laughs> as like, a, fifth, like a 15 year old kid Amazing. in Tucson. Okay. And so I was just like, OK, I'm going to go to the U of A because that's Arizona is right down the street. Uh-huh. So I went there, I, I studied, I auditioned, I got in and, and then I got kicked out. I got kicked out of that school. And that was Why? like, a, that was a really formative moment because I was, I was a punk. I was like a kid who had a really big ego. And okay. to this day, I, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if they should have kicked me out. I think, uh, I mean, really genuinely what happened is like, uh, <laughs> now I feel like I'm airing grievances, yeah, <laughs> but no, 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 well, when you're an actor in all these like collegiate BFA programs, like conservatory programs, the first two years, generally you don't perform in front of audiences. And, uh, the first couple of years you work as a backstage crew for the, for the upperclassmen who are performing. And I was doing my crew one night and they were doing a musical called she loves me. And, and the director was keeping everyone super late and and I was really cranky and I, I, you know, I didn't quite understand the, the, you know, the reasons that I was there. And at one point, like the director stopped the show and came backstage and like yelled at me for like missing one of my cues as, <sighs> as like a stagehand. And I just like lost it. I was like, you know, I said something stupid about like, it's not my fault that this show is falling apart. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, uh, and, and, yeah. and I just like, I could tell that I really sat not well with him and I probably shouldn't have said that. But yeah, he was like one of the heads of the the program, and I to this day I think that they. And I was like, I wish that they could have just like disciplined me in the moment, but they waited till the end of the year and they cut me, and and that was really weird, man. There's so much that I'm skipping here because there's so much about that story that can be interpreted in many many ways. Like genuinely, they cut, and and I'm not trying to like look. This is just like a stat you can look it up. I'm not trying to like, but they cut so many kids of color that year. Interesting. It was wild. Like some of the more successful people to come out of that school got cut wow. that year. And it was really, really interesting. And I don't want to dig into that, but that's always just like, it, it's just like always kind of floated in my mind of like, wait, what is happening? Like, yes, I was a, I was a dick. Like I can acknowledge that, but can we just like address that instead of, yeah. instead of cutting me from the program? So anyways, like a 19, 20 year old, right? Oh yeah. I was like 18. Like I was, I was yeah, a kid. 18. Yeah. So then, okay. so then my, my, my story goes on and actually I'm, I'm much better for it. And I'm actually very grateful that they did that. Like, to be honest, I'm not throwing shade. I think I'm a better human and a better artist because they did that to me because I had to really sit down and think like, do I want this? Like I can, I can just go into my dad's business, live a comfortable life in Tucson and you know, call it a day, but I was like, no, I really want to do this. So I auditioned for, you know, all the schools that I never auditioned for in, in mm. high school. Uh, so I, yeah, I ended up going to Carnegie Mellon, which is like one of the best wow, acting schools. amazing. And yeah, it was really, really, really cool. And I, when I got to Carnegie, it, it felt like a second lease on life, right? Like I was like, oh, wow. 
I don't want to mess this up. And that, I mean, the first two weeks of school is when I met Pigpen. Like we were just, we were all freshmen, freshman boys in the acting program. And, and, you know, we, we didn't know we would be best friends for 16 years. We were just like, oh yeah, these, these, these seven guys are, they seem to like each other. Let's all make something together. And so we started writing plays together and performing them every year at school. And, and those plays eventually ended up going to New York city. We transferred them to New York city over the summers while we were still in school. We would go to New York and perform them over the summers. And we ended up winning the fringe festival two summers in a row, which was like really, really huge for us. This is back when New York fringe existed and it was, it's like this beautiful festival. And, and yeah, so then pig pen really became the driving thrust of my career for a very long time. You know, the seven of us kind of made a commitment to each other that after we graduated, we were all getting, you know, Broadway TV, like auditions. And a lot of us were getting really far. Some of us were getting offers and it really kind of threw our agents that like we were saying no to certain things because they were like, you guys are kids out of school. You just came out of one of the best programs in the country and you're saying no to to an audition or a show because you want to go play with puppets in a barn (laughs) in Massachusetts. Like, are you insane? And And at the point at that time, you know, it's a little bit of like that, the ignorance of youth. You know, the naivety of yeah. youth. I was like, no, this is more fun. And and it's it's really, it's become just like the greatest thing in my life. You know, we get to, yeah, so Pigpen has, you know, written, you know, four or five musicals now. We've written, we've released two albums. We've toured the world as a band. And and it's just been step by step. Like every right. year it's gotten a little bigger. And and yeah, and tomorrow actually, by the time this comes out, we, we're announcing our first Broadway musical. So we're going to- Amazing. We're gonna, yeah, Congratulations. So, yeah. This has been a common theme with people I've been talking to, this uh, idea of like doing good work for a really long time. That's exactly what it is. And it compounds over time, like becomes something. But you had like that conviction to like just keep going each year. Yeah. I mean, it's It's the same with like, I'm sure you're experiencing the same thing, right? Like Absolutely. Like you've been doing this forever. I've been listening forever. And now I feel like you're like one of the foremost voices on Iranian podcasting. It's just like, like one step at a time. Like, okay, here we go. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's so cool. And, and like that to me is the takeaway for anyone trying to do anything. <laughs> like, totally. like, like do not like, I, I mean, I don't know. I've, I don't know how you feel about this. I wanted success immediately. Yeah. Like, of course I did. I was right. like, yeah, I wanted to. But just- you were, it somehow you had this like long-term vision. I mean, uh, yeah. Maybe not even long-term. Exa- again, it's just like doing one step at a time and just like. It'll you'll eventually get there. Certainly. I think I think there's it's always a balance of hubris, yeah. you know, hubris and, Absolutely. and and passion. Right. Like, yeah, it's like, OK, when 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 you're like not feeling passionate or when you're not feeling well connected to the thing, you got to just fall back onto this like hubris sense of like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. But when you don't have that, oftentimes the more important thing is like having the craft, having love of the craft, having yes. love of these conversations for you or, or for, for like, you know, writing for me or performing and like trying to understand how these things are all linked. That stuff will get you through the next 20 years if you really care about it. Like that yeah. stuff is like that you can't figure it out. It's a, it's an unsolvable puzzle that we're all obsessed with, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So coming back to the book. So you started this three years ago when, yeah. what part of the journey did you all of a sudden like book yeah when did you oh great okay so it's a different uh, it skill set too it's, right it's, yeah, it's a different... I mean, you wrote it and also how did i mean i have so many questions i'll, okay. go, uh, um, I'll stop also, talking as long <laughs> no 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 also how did you come up with this format okay. like what is this where is this all from of course please tell me everything yeah, yeah. so 
first of all, it's a novel in verse. I'm I'm definitely not the first person to do it. There are many novels in verse that I I actually only honestly I've only read one before I really wanted to start writing one. I read this book called Out of the Dust. I think a lot of it's taught in a lot of schools. It's about a the Dust Bowl. So it feels very dated Ooh, by by now. Like it feels very like kind of it's an old it's an it's like you know it's like a critically acclaimed novel about the depression that you're supposed to read in, in high school. And those are the novels that kind of kill my love of reading. But okay. I'll always remember opening it up and being like, oh, this book looks different. Like it's yeah, it, it's literally looks different. It looks like a bunch of poems. So that stuck with me. And then 2016, Donald Trump is elected, and it makes me really wonder what the hell I've been doing with my life. I called all my friends who are lawyers and I was like, I think I want to go to law school. And yeah. <laughs> and they're all like, don't do that. <laughs> they were like, this is not, this is not, uh, it's not what you think it is. Aria. Okay, good. Good yeah. thing you called them. Okay. No, I mean, they're like, I love them. My, my yeah. two best friends are lawyers and, and they were like, no, don't do that. I, and and they were and they were honestly and they were like and my therapist even was like I think you're making this out to be because to be honest law has always been the other thing in my brain right right, right when right. I was a kid it was always like actor or lawyer and I thought it was so funny that my parents were so gung ho about me being an actor because like everyone knew the other thing that I was considering was law, law. Um, interesting but so so Donald Trump is elected I decided okay I have to do something I'm not going to go to law school I'm in the middle of touring with Pigpen and so I wrote a rap which is something that I hadn't done since really early college or high school. I used to, I used to, you know, write little raps and poems all the time, but it, I just hadn't done it for a long time. And I wrote a little rap called the thing about America. And I uploaded that literally, I think two days after Trump was elected, maybe the day after. And, you know, it got shared around, it got shared around on, on socials. And, and one of the people who saw it was my literary agent who I've already had, which I'm very, very fortunate. They are the gatekeepers to the publishing industry for sure. Wow. But I, I got a I got a literary agent many, many years ago through my work with Big Pen, but I'd never written anything for her. Ah, interesting. And so she, and so she, she texts me. She's like, so I watched your rap. You need to write a novel in verse. Wow. <laughs> and I, I text her back and I was like, you're crazy. <laughs> I was like, I was like, wow. I, I can't do that. That's yeah. a novel. I can't yeah, write a novel. Like what? No. I like, wow. like, and she's amazing. The book is, she's one of the people that the book is dedicated to. Her name is Rebecca Sherman. She's an incredible human being. And wow. So I was like, no, I, I, I can't. And I remember I was like, <laughs> I was like, how about this? How about we try to take that rap that I just wrote and sell that? Like we can sell that and make that into a like little picture book. And she was like, yeah, okay, I'll try. I'll try. Like, and we'll, we'll, we'll put a package together and we'll send it out. But uh, you should write a novel in verse. I'm just, I'm not going to let that go. And I was like, oh, no, wow. I was like, okay, okay. So, you know, we sent that out. It didn't go anywhere, but it got, it got some good responses from some of the publishers. They were, they were in the process of pro pairing me with illustrators, but I realized like, oh, you know what? I'm trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. I wrote that as a wrap. It, it was very good for what it needed to be, but it's not a children's picture book. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going <laughs> to spend time making it one because I, it just didn't feel honest. Then in 2019, the more and more pick pen grew. So this is three years later. We were working on our musical, The Tale of Despero. We were doing it at the Old Globe, actually, in San Diego. Nice. And I'm watching the way the rehearsal room is playing out. And at that point, you know, the way pick pen works, it's, it's changed over the years. It's really evolved. There's seven of us. Everyone's super talented. But I realized how much sway the writing had in this room, right? Like, 
Dan Weschler is, is our primary writer in the group, like script writer. And he's, he's actually one of the most brilliant people I've ever known. And I, I just remember looking at Dan and being like, man, what he's doing right now is incredible. It, like everyone in this room is throwing ideas at Dan and his job, his ridiculous job is to go home. And we've already been working on this script for four years together. His wow. job is to go home and like take all of this in and like make something up in his brain that like addresses all these things. I just thought it was right. magical. And look, I've known Dan for a long time. I've known Ryan, Curtis, Matt, like all the guys, like we all can write. But in that moment, I'll just never forget that moment in, in our rehearsal. I was like, oh, I want to try to do that. Like, wow. I, and, and, I, and I just want to try to do that. So I started writing poems. I was like, okay, I'm going to try to do something from scratch for Rebecca my agent. I'll try to start writing a couple poems. And I think during the course of my run at San Diego, I wrote 20 poems. Wow. And I sent them to her. And then she was like, yeah, no, this is it. This is it. Oh, you, wow. She's like, yeah. she's that like, gave yeah. me chills. Good. Yeah. Okay. So she's like, you have to write this. And I was like, okay, I'll see you in five years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, because I was like, there's no way I can write a book. It took me, it took me, you know, four months to write 20 poems. And I think the book has over 300 poems in it. Wow. But then, uh, you know, next year, 2020, we had this yeah. big, big world event and I had what a, was the, what, yeah, yeah. can you take me back to? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So 2020 was the year that I, Amazing. I got, got some time. I got some time and I, I wrote every day for year, year and a half. And wow. Uh, and what precedent, yeah. did you have any precedent for, is it, is it a young adult novel officially? Really, okay. So is that what you wanted to do? I'm so glad you asked this question truly, because I, I don't believe in any of that stuff. Okay, I, yeah. I, I, no, I, I just, know. no, 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 you are absolutely right. And it's <laughs> just, just to be completely honest. Yes, it's a young adult novel. It's okay. Being, it is being marketed as such. It is being published as such. It is a, it is a, it is a book from Harper Children's Division. Like it is very much in the YA machine. Okay. That being said, my experience with Pigpen has taught me that like we wrote those stories for our friends. Right. We, we wrote those stories for like 22 year old college kids. But we wrote them in the style of Pixar, right? We wrote them in a style that like anyone can access this if you want. If, if you want to bring yourself openly to this story, we think you're going to like it. Right. And honestly, that's kind of how I write my poetry. Like, yeah, there are some technical things that make it YA. Like Omid is, you know, he's a 15 year old kid. And generally your protagonist age kind of dictates where the story fits in the marketplace interesting yeah so that's that's a whole nother lesson i learned like you know when i drafted the piece he was originally a freshman like i was during 9 11 but we actually aged him up for a bunch of reasons and i think they fit really well now but they were not the the initial kind of expression of the idea and a lot of those reasons have to do with like you know how the book fits into curriculums and what the marketplace kind of needs and wants so like that stuff's kind of important to me. Like I'll, I'll, I'll have those conversations, but frankly, like, yeah, when I think of genre, it's really hard for me. Cause I'm like, yeah, I guess it's a novel in verse. I guess it's YA, <laughs> but I'm 36 years old and I like it. <laughs> like, I'm yeah, like, definitely. You know, like, definitely. That's just, that's I never, yeah. I never got that sense. I just, uh, and I'm, I'm not in that world, so I don't know, but I did notice like, yeah ya or whatever but you, what precedents did you have for for that like did you look at anyone else who was writing or you know who who are your peers in this now iranian ya fiction i mean i mean the big one his name is on the cover his name is daniel nairi and daniel wrote a book a couple years ago called everything sad is untrue and it just kind of exploded in that space it blew up in that space and you know he is a really singular 
person. I, I, I got to meet him through some pig pen stuff and, and it was, it was weird. I mean, the way I met Daniel is so weird because I basically read his book over the pandemic as I was writing mine and I decided, okay, well I quit. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That book is, I just started it. Oh, uh, you're reading it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm reading it. Cause we're going to talk soon. (laughs) Let's go. I'm glad you got Daniel. But I started reading and I was like, whoa, (laughs) (laughs) it's really good. Yeah. Everything sad I think is, is the, the light, but here's, what's funny is like, I read that when I was 250 pages into my book, right. I was already like well into the process. So, and actually this just happened with a completely different author, uh, uh, Kashayara Kabushani, who just wrote, I will greet the sun again. And we've, we've also kind of become friends because, you know, I'm reading all these books that take years to write. Right. And we, and we don't know each other. He would like, like we all don't know each other just like, because yeah, this is not the way the world works. We are just like in our corners writing these books. And I'm like, Oh my God, there's so much overlap that like, I feel immediate kinship with these people. Not only because we're Iranian and we're writing about these things, but also because like we've sat down at a computer and we've tried to put them into words. Yes. So well, it's not it's not just that, but it's also you're not it's not just four or five years. It's like 16 years that you've been at least, you know, this journey has been this whole thing. It's been pig pen. It's been like your college. It's been all this. We've all been just like quietly in our corners working. And it does feel like this explosion of like. We found each other. I mean, the other one that I know you've spoken to, I know you spent time with is, is Ariane, right? Like Ariane and I have, Absolutely. you know, I, and we're not, we're not the best of friends, but you know, we, we've been friends for many years and, you know, we've been in and out of each other's lives momentarily in, in New York. And there's so much overlap, like with what he did with Waterwell and, and what, what I did with Pigpen. Like, I feel like there's so much like, yeah, we, we each have our things that we're doing while also being Iranian American. <laughs> it's fascinating. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. And he actually, Aryan did a production of Hamlet a couple of years ago that I, yeah. I, and I give him, I give him a shout out in my acknowledgements because I watched that. So this is actually another fascinating part about our, our, our community and how it functions. Yeah. I watched that show. I went to watch it and I sat there in the audience and actually I think I had, I had got an audition for that show and I, I didn't go because I was doing stuff with Pigpen on the road. And I sat there and I was like, what is what is wrong with me? Like, why am I not a part of this? Right? Like, not not like in a selfish or egotistical way, but I'm, I was like, why have I not done anything professionally that deals with my culture? Like, it really kind of struck a chord. And also, it was freaking Hamlet. The dude, the dude was on this wavelength, you know, way before I was. Uh, like, I obviously love Shakespeare, but I never ever thought of like, okay. There's a connection here. And, you know, as I was writing, I got to talk to Ariane a little bit about how he, how he did that. And yeah, I don't know. So you're right. You're right. There is this like really beautiful kind of moment that's happening. And I think we should all acknowledge it. And, and, and also I watched my parents' generation kind of like compete with each other over that like scarcity mindset of like, gotta be the, the Iranian, you know, that's like crushing it. And I'm like, no, no, we can all crush it. We can all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so you started writing it in 2019, or the idea came up in 2019, and you're slowly working. So what was the, and the pandemic happens, and what was your process for writing? How do you even figure that out? Like, were you, like, doing the everyday, like, write a little bit, or what was the process? I mean, dude, a really good day is if I can write, if I can write one poem. Right. <laughs> if yeah, I can write I'm one, sure. If I can write wait, one wait, poem. how many is it? Hold on. Let's look. <sighs> I, I mean, know. I'm sure you know No, I, I think it's like. It's not numbered. No, it's not numbered. I think it's like. 295 something like that it's right around 300 and those are the just ones that made it into the book and first of all 
terrifying because I'm writing the second one right now and I'm like, uh, and I'm at like at the poem thirty. I'm at like poem thirty right now. I'm like, oh my god, it's never gonna get done. Amazing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, it's never. Gonna, but um, yeah. So the the process was every morning, and it, it really kind of became a ritual during the pandemic. Uh, and I've learned this about myself. I write best around six a.m., which is insane because I'm an I'm a night owl. Wow, <laughs> so, no way. Yeah, I. I so really, what time did you go to bed to do that? Well, I mean, like eventually once I realized, you know, I, Aria, you got to start getting up early. Like my body just couldn't do it anymore. And I would start falling asleep around midnight. But oh, God, midnight. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, midnight's early for me. I mean, to this day, my wife is just like going to bed at 11 and I'll look at her and I'll be like, you're going to bed. She's like, it's 11 p.m. Yes, I'm going to bed. So, yes, yeah, so I would wake up every morning. Really, really. I mean, we. I don't know. I've never I've never told this. I mean, I haven't talked about this book much, but I've never said this to anyone. I wrote this book uh, in my mom's house in Tucson, like the big chunk of it. The big chunk of the book got written in Tucson during the pandemic where I was living at my mom's house. She was living in Houston at the time. And my mom's house in Tucson happens to be the house that my grandparents used to live in. So my other, the other set of grandparents, actually, the, the set of grandparents that's not in, my, in, the, in the story. But it was really weird. Every morning, my mom's office is actually the room that I, my grandfather, who's passed away now on my dad's side, I remember going, who I have had, I had by far this, the, the littlest relationship with because, you know, he was kind of like, you know, an elder Iranian man and, and yeah. I was, uh, and he was very reserved and quiet and I was very young. <laughs> and so the way these things happen is like my, my core memories of him are like going into that house and in the room that I actually ended up writing in what used to be like his little gym. Like he was like, you know, he was like one of those, like, <laughs> like he had those big Iranian pins. I don't know if you've seen nice. those. Like, yeah, of yeah, course. So, so he would do that. Like that's like, that was his exercise. Wow. So I actually wrote most of the book in the room that he would do that in. And yeah, it just always felt really special. Cause I was like, I, I just need, I just like every morning, 6am wow. and I would, I would write for, you know, two, three hours, maybe four hours if it was a good day. And then I'd move on with my life. And that was really the only way to do it. Cause I think yeah, I think I would have. And gone. at the time, the theater was shut down. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, this was, was your only thing that you were doing. Yeah, yeah, wow. which was huge, huge. Um, yeah, you know, Pigpen was trying to figure out how to do like music stuff. We we wrote a bunch of songs together, and we released some new songs. But like, yeah, theater, theater, and touring was was the dominant force in my life for the past you know ten, yeah. 10 fifteen years. So when did you finish? Uh, I finished right as the pandemic was opening. Uh, wow. Or, yeah. No, well, so, so <clears throat> I'll always remember the auction for the book happened the first weekend of the storytelling festival at Little Island. So Pigpen curated this festival uh, for a couple summers on at Little Island in New York City. And I just, I just remember that being a crazy weekend because I had gone from, you know, sitting in my room either in Tucson and then later in LA. I, I lived in LA for most of the pandemic for years, you know. And then all of a sudden, the world is back open. I'm curating a huge festival in New York City, and my book is being sold that weekend. And so it was like a big transitional moment. And then, look, rea the re reality sets in. The book, the, the auction happens. There's all, all kinds of weird stuff that you learn about the publishing industry and auc auctions and stuff like that. But once I had my publisher, I had the editor, I was like, great. Let's let's do this. Let's like let's lock in. Like like send it to the printers, <laughs> and they're and they're like no 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 <laughs> no no no. You are rewriting this thing like three more times. <laughs> so that that was the real and I, I and my editor Ann Hoppy is a freaking genius. Like I'm just so grateful that I got to have that experience because 
that's really, I think, when things come alive. Totally, right? totally. When you have to yeah. share them with somebody who's and smarter than you. <laughs> the rewriting process, too. Just like that's when it gets like written, right? I mean, yeah. Like there's so many threads in this story. Yes. And, and she's the one that was like, they need to come together. Like all, all the stuff at the end with, you know, an impossible thing to say, uh, all the stuff with Omid finding words in the way that he does at the end. Yeah. When did the title change to Impossible Thing to Say from The Weaver's Tale? Did yeah, you the, say? Just The Weaver. Just the, oh, Weaver. the Weaver, okay. Yeah, it changed after after the sale. So it sold as The Weaver. Um, I want to I say it's you know changed maybe a year after, maybe on the second draft after. Uh, I think Anne, my editor, knew how how much that title meant to me. The, and I think she she kind of let me down easy. She like okay. she broke it to me easy. She's like, I think we're going to have to change it. She's like, you know, and, and I will say, you know, you never know in life. Like, I, I actually think an impossible thing to say is such a better title because the Weaver has these, even though like thematically it might be correct, it has these like kind of overtones of exoticism that I don't love. Oh, interesting. And I always kind of like struggle with that. I'm like, do I really want to write about a, a Middle Eastern kid and call the book The Weaver? <laughs> like, I, st- <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't want to play into interesting. that. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I, I think I landed on something that's actually a lot more truthful, which is it's about him trying to speak. Oh yeah. It seems like the perfect title. So when did, when did the Masa Amini, when was that in context of, of what was going on? Well after. Well, well after. I'm, yeah. Well after. I mean, Masa happened about a year ago. Right. So yeah. I, yeah, I was pretty much done at that point. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So it was weird. I mean, this is also, you know, we should, we should talk about all that because like, it's, it's tough for me because I think another moment that we interacted before, like really getting to know each other is I wrote this silly little post on Instagram about the USA Iran soccer game. And that was like the thing that got shared most widely ever of my, any of the things that I've ever made. Amazing. Yeah. Because Instagram just loved it and like people shared it and. Right. And I wrote about it the morning of, you know, the Iran USA soccer game because I'm a huge soccer fan. I'm a huge soccer right. fan. I watch yes. constantly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I was like, yeah, this is a weird feeling. Like everyone's texting you being like, USA or Iran, which side are you on? I'm like, yeah, you do not know the metaphorical uh, minefield that you are making me step through. But um, but I'll say this. It's so hard to watch what's happening in Iran because every one of us has such a complicated relationship with it. And I think every one of us wants to have pride for our culture and our country, but many of us think that that country has been taken hostage. And I use that term knowingly that it's loaded. And so what do you do, right? What do you do? And, And I can only behave in a way that feels honest to me. And frankly, I remember feeling so much hope in 2008. And that was like, you know, for, for those of you that are just hopping on the Iranian revolution yeah. <laughs> bandwagon, like that was the first one. That was the one that was supposed to be it. And I remember 2008 was the year that Obama was elected. I was like, oh my God, the world, it's doing it. We're doing it. Like, you know, like you're doing it, Peter from Hook. Like we're flying, we're flying. And I was so, I don't know, man, again, I was young. I was so hopeful that like, oh my God, the regime's going to fall. I'm going to be able to go to Iran and celebrate and it didn't it just didn't so when masa happened i think i was a lot i was just tentative compared to a lot of my iranian 
friends. I think a lot of people were like, this is the one. And I was like, I don't know if it's the one. And, and like, I'm not trying to say that, like, I don't want it to be the one. Oh my God. Like, let's go. Let's get them out. Like, let's just, I'm done. I'm so tired of this. I'm so tired of this, but also it's not wholly mine. Right. I don't live in Iran. Right. I, I have family there. I know how difficult it is, but like, it's a really difficult to be a kind of a, a mouthpiece for an entire culture. You're not, you can only be a mouthpiece yeah. for yourself. A little bit, but I also like the, when it's like, it's not ours or whatever, I do think it's not by choice. Like your family's not here by choice. Like, are are they Baha'i? Is that a part of, okay. Yeah. So they my, have my, that my mom also. Is, mom is, yeah. That's huge. Like they're also, you know, you have this like, and did you have an aunt that was killed and all that? So that yeah, was my, all true too. So oh. it, it wasn't my aunt; it was my grandfather's, grandfather's sister. It was his. Oh, it was his brother, brother in real life. So I changed okay. it to sister because I again wanted to create some space just to allow myself to be creative. Okay. Because also, like this is also true. When I grew up, I always was like, "Oh, I'm going to write that. I'm going to write that story. I'm going to write gotcha. this crazy story that my family actually had to go through." But as I grew older, I realized like I have so many drafts of like scenes with my grandfather speaking to his brother before his brother's execution and it's like really heavy stuff. This actually oh, happened. Man. But the the more I wrote into it, I was like I don't know, this is not my story. I'm making too many jumps for where I am as an artist. I'm not saying that I'll never touch it, but for where I am as an artist, everything changed when I was like, wait, people will care just like about my story, like about the kid that heard about all these atrocities. Wow. Like you're telling me like, I don't need to write about the atrocity. I can just write about the effects of the atrocity and, and people will still find value in that. That is really powerful because I always wrapped up my worth as an artist in the trauma that my, my parents experienced. Right. And I have to continue processing what it means to be a product of some of that trauma. Right. And in a lot of my raps, I write about like feeling this connection to the Iranian version of me, the version of me that was born and raised in Iran. Yeah. But that version of me isn't real. My parents wouldn't have even met like it's, Wow. It's, it's crazy to think that like, no, Arya, stop thinking about that. He doesn't, he's, it would be so vastly, I don't know. I'm, I'm embracing my Americanness as much as I'm embracing my Iranianness, And that yes. to me is super powerful because I'm so tired of other people telling me what that's supposed to mean. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. But I do think, I, I think that a lot when, you know, with these things that are happening, I, I feel like this has really affected everybody so much. And a lot of people don't really know why it's affecting them so much this past year, you know, all these protests happening and everyone got involved. And I think a lot of that is just from this feeling of all of a sudden realizing like we were more connected to Iran than we thought, you know, how's it for you? I mean, how was it uh, just like the, yeah. How's it been for you? I think that similar to you, like I was very skeptical in the beginning more than a lot of people like I didn't really post about it I didn't really because first of all I was like I don't know what's misinformation what's like not misinformation too because you know a lot of people have been killed over the past few years over things in Iran like why was it that this was the one that like all of a sudden blew up in this way I just was skeptical but then and also like I had my my daughter was born October 1st so it was just like two weeks after that happened oh so all gosh. these videos were coming out of Iran and you know I was like yeah. I 
no, I no, can't no. watch these things. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like from what I'm hearing too, you know, a lot of people write me and people are feeling more connected to Iran than ever, you know, and feeling more connected to Iranians. And, and so I think that it's amazing that I, I think it was all happening below the surface. You know, people have been slowly, like we've been saying, working over the years and all of a sudden there's this just convergence of people and like so yeah that's that's kind of everything that i'm seeing is like we're all being connected more right yeah so i think that it's an amazing time for a book like this to come out i i, I mean i appreciate that i, I think they not to like rain on my own parade but i'm just being honest i am a person who like i'm constantly doubting many narratives right and yes oh and, yeah and for me it's so hard to just like be like wait am i am i taking advantage of this moment right like what is happening what is happening like this is the craziest year of my life and 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 i i don't revert to like where were you all before like i know some people do and i and i get that i totally get that i, I and i think they have a different relationship with this experience than i do and they have their reasons for me, I'm like, okay, this is way bigger than me. This is not this this is not <laughs> about my career. <laughs> this is like Arya, get get out of your own freaking head, dude. But um, you know, we can only experience life through our own minds, right? And so, yeah, it's having a legitimate impact on my life. And I just I just, you know, I don't know. You you start wondering like this is a, a seismic moment and I just happen to be a part of this wave. Yeah. And I have to, and I have to be grateful for the things that it's brought me, but I also have to be very, very considerate and also acknowledge that like, it's not guaranteed, not like this, none of this stuff is guaranteed. Like keep your head down, keep telling the, the stories that you think matter. And I'm really happy that this story was timed in a way at a time that people might respond to it yeah. and it might resonate with people. That makes me very happy. Me too. I think that, I mean... They say, like, write the story you wish you had at that age. You know, this is absolutely the story we all wish we had, right? Merci. Yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm definitely the one I wish I had. <laughs> yeah. no, definitely, I, I mean, mean, the story about yeah. Shakespeare and... Yeah. Exactly. In, in Arizona? <laughs> yeah, like, in Arizona. Yeah, in Arizona, of all places. That's... Yeah, it's been it's been cool. It's been cool. Yeah, and also... You, yeah, go. Well, have you seen the story Junam? Have you watched Junam yet? yet? Or do you know? Okay. Not yet. So you know that it's also Bahai. It's also grandparents. It's also... I mean, these stories have been there and it's yeah. just, it's amazing that all of a sudden, like these stories are being told, like we need them. And I think we're, we all have an insatiable thirst for these type of stories. Oh, I was starved for it. Exactly. It's, it's crazy. I mean, your podcast is a huge part of that. Like, I mean, really, I don't have that many Iranian friends. Like, I just don't. I, I, yeah. And, and well, yeah, like, so I yeah. want to ask you about that. What is your relationship with the diaspora right now? And what is like. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. <laughs> big fan. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. A lo- long time listener, first time caller. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah that's, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I feel, it feels weird to even, yeah, no, I mean, look, obviously I'm, I'm joking. Like it, there's a, in, there's an instant connection to someone when I, when we meet and we have these experiences in common and it makes, it brings me so much joy. It brings me so much joy to like be in a room with other Iranian Americans because it's, it's educating me, right? Not only is it making me feel comfortable which is always valuable like feeling safe feeling comfortable to say what you really believe like those are important things but it's also educating me on what the diaspora is on what 
Right. You know, the differences of our experiences is something that I'm really le- leaning into now that I've that I've gotten a publishing deal to to to, to broadcast my own experience. <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay, that's done. Now, yeah. like, shut up and listen. And it's been the the most joyful part because, yeah, man. I mean, there's a lot of commonalities, but there's a lot of differences. You know, we are yeah. there. We contain multitudes, and yeah. So I feel I feel like I'm one small part of the diaspora. Amazing. And I love that. Yeah, I love that these stories are being told and like we're finding each other and no one feels like like everyone's a legitimate part of the story, which I mean, is wonderful. How does it how is it for you hearing <laughs> so many, so many stories of people's lives that I'm sure have a lot of overlap? Like, wh- how do you process it all? Well, for me, so I grew up in Texas, right? So I'm not part of like the California experience. Uh, there weren't a lot of Iranians around me. Well, I'll take that back. My mom taught Farsi. So I grew up with this like every Saturday going to this Farsi school and everyone would come around. But I also grew up feeling really like weird. You know, I was like, oh, I'm not I, I'm not like other Iranians. I always had that thing it's like, OK, that's what Iranian is. I'm not that like I don't like makeup. I don't like this. I don't like that. All these stereotypical things that I would see Iranians around. I was like, they just know how to dance. I just don't know how to do <laughs> like that. I'm missing being Iranian. And so it wasn't until I got to college that I kind of met my people and I was like, oh, it's not that I'm not Iranian. I'm just weird. And like, I found other weird people. (laughs) Like, you're not, you know, Americans don't all get along. Who are your people? Well, like, Farid is a big part of that, you know, like, I work with him a lot. He's a musician, Farid Shafinuri. We became friends and that, that was like a big part of it. Like, we had this small group of friends, maybe like five or six of us. Um, Mayam Rostami is in San Francisco. She was the president of the student uh, Iranian Students Organization. So when I met her, I was like, you are so weird and you're so different. You are my people, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So then it was like, yeah, people in culture, you're not going to get along with people just because they're part of your culture. You have some shared experiences, but it's like that that's kind of what I what I figured out. So Right now, you know, I'm married to an American. It's not like I have, you know, I have my family, but it's not like I hang out. It, Austin doesn't have like an Iranian scene, really. Yeah. It's a lot of people doing different things. So I just appreciate being able to talk to, you know, other creative people like you. And like, you know, I, I feel like we're finding our creative tribe in a way. That's and really it's cool. just nice to nice to be able to share our experiences growing up and see the commonalities, like you said, and the differences. Yeah. Yeah, finding finding your weird people has been awesome, right? Like I think I I have not felt that, uh, you know, and and it's funny cuz a lot of that happens in that in that kind of gestational college phase where we're all like forming our, our adult identities. We're transitioning from childhood where we're just like trying to, you know, trying to let the world tell us how to be and then and then you're transitioning to like telling the world a little bit about how you want to be. But yeah, you didn't marry an Iranian, I didn't marry an Iranian like with, no. <laughs> so it's not it's not that that's what I, I used to think that actually, like when I was growing up, I was like, if someone doesn't speak Persian, they're not going to understand me completely. Really? Oh, yeah. I would think that. That's like, really interesting. Yeah, because I grew up speaking and it was always a big part of my identi- identity to be able to speak. I grew up in a house with my grandparents also. So that was a big part of it. My grandfather was like my soulmate and I would we'd talk all oh, the time. That's, and that's amazing. Yeah. That's so he amazing. got me really into like Persian poetry. That's why I'm so into it. But yeah, I would always think that. And now like 
my husband, I shouldn't admit this on the podcast, but he can barely, I mean, he can only understand like a few words like Nuno Panier. Or <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> People always write me, they're like, how do I get my, my, my spouse interested in learning Persian? I'm like, I don't know. When you figure it out, tell me. <laughs> I have no idea. That's amazing. <laughs> Why do you think I know? I just teach people. <laughs> yeah, that's um, awesome. Yeah. So then I don't know. Now I think that there, it's a lot more, there's a lot more to understanding a person than language, you know? Language is a part of it, but my I feel like my husband understands me completely without <laughs> knowing Persian. So yeah, uh, I, I I connect to that. I, I mean, like, like seriously, and it's fascinating because, like, you said your mom taught Farsi, so I I get how that is like a part of your worldview as a kid. Because for me, it wasn't. I always just assumed like, oh, this is like the weird thing that my parents do, right? But for you, it was like, no, this is like this very important core tenet of my family. So yeah, it's beautiful. And it is my love language. Like this, this is the language I speak with my kids. So, so there, let's take it back to that. What do you think you've mentioned? You might have children in the future. What are you, what are you thinking? What, what would you, do you think it's important for them to learn Persian or? <laughs> I think it's important for me to learn Persian. Yeah. To... No, no, I mean, it's like, it's funny. I, I continue to think like, well, this will be the year that I really like sit down and, and learn the way that I want to learn. But truth be told, like my favorite way of speaking Farsi is just in community, right? I, I'm less an academic. And it's funny because I really want to write about the Shahnameh. So I've been, I'm reading Shahnameh right now. And like, oh, interesting. Yeah. And like, and, and again, all I can do is really just bring my honest perspective to it as, as a kid who has the relationship with our culture that I have. Are you reading the penguin version? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm 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 skipping around. Like I have a couple versions, but yes, that's the yeah. that's the predominant one and you know, all I can do as a dad is be honest with my kids about what's was important to me and and be honest about what's important to their mom and and honestly like I don't know, it's I'm not going to put as much pressure on it, you know? Which which can backfire. Okay. So here, here's, here's what's funny. It's like my parents growing up, <laughs> this is great. I love, they're going to love that I'm broadcasting this. Um, <laughs> growing up, you know, religion is a big thing yeah. in, in the Iranian culture. You know, uh, my, my dad is Muslim and my mom is Baha'i and they kind of took the approach that like, we're not going to pressure the kids. Okay. We're going to let them. Uh, you know, come up with their own worldview. They're we're just gonna support. So you're them. both godless heathens. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Just like, oh, I don't believe in any of that. Like, it's yeah. I'm so atheist that it's like it's like gotten to the point where my parents are getting older. They're like, oh my god, we've we've completely we've damned our children. We've, we've damned our up. children. Yeah. yeah, we've damned them to hell. Yeah, and and so like I am. I don't care about religion at all in terms of like yeah. how my my kids are raised. But I, <laughs> I do obviously care about language. Like I've dedicated a, a big portion of my brain space to it. And I think by maybe taking my hand off the whatever, or my foot off the pedal too much, it'll end up being like, oh, dad, that's just dad's weird thing. He's like super obsessed with Farsi and English and how they intersect. Right. So, you know, maybe I, I, it requires a little bit more thought um, as, a, as we get more serious about having kids. But I do know that of all the places to be, I happen to be in LA right now. I've been living here for three years. And what's lovely about this place is that I can go out and just be surrounded by Iranians. And it's, cool. it, it's wild. Like it's, I've never had that before. I've never, Westwood is like Disneyland uh, for Persian food. Like it's just fun. Yeah. It's like, it's awesome. I mean, and uh, you know, 
I will certainly be introducing them to the Persian cuisine. That, that, yes. that, yeah. that is, if Baba can do that, I'm good. You know, yeah. like that's, that's all I need. That's all I need. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. Nice. What about your well, kids? What, are they? Mine, I speak to them only in Persian. Only? Because, yeah, because it is my, like, that's the only language that I feel like I can express my, like, it's my love language. And I, it feels weird to me to speak to them in English. Wait, that's amazing. Yeah, but then when my husband's around, I also, it's important for me for him to feel included. So usually I'll either speak English when he's around or yeah. I'll speak both. I'll be like, okay, I'll say the sentence twice. They understand completely. So there's six, four, or no, seven, four, and ten months now. So You have three. Yeah, oh, three. that's amazing. Yeah, okay, so and, then- and do you find that with your husband... Okay. I mean, give me, give me a crash course, right? Like yeah, what, yeah. what are, what are the conversations you guys had before that first kid? Oh, about the language? Yeah. I mean, he knows that it's really important to me. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so we, I, I, that's why I started the Raising Nimrani's podcast because I really just wanted to ask people how they were doing it. So, yeah. you know, I interviewed like Maz Chaprani, I interviewed like Reza Aslan. I was like, how did you guys, do you think it's important? They're like, it's super important. Your kids should know Persian. Like, okay, so do your kids know Persian? No. <laughs> like, okay, what did you get? So everyone thinks it's so important, but no one's figured out how to do it is what I figured out during that series. I probably interviewed like 10 people at the time and everyone was like, we just couldn't do it, especially in the US. Like there's yeah. just such a little amount of effort that's put into teaching kids a second language in the US. So I interviewed someone in Europe and she was like, oh, it's easy. Just, you know, speak. I was like, okay, it's easy for Europeans. That's Oh my difference. God. Totally. I mean, yeah, they, it's they just a have totally a, different. They game. have a comfort with being able to switch their identity yeah. like that. You know, so it's um, not like that here. And then I spoke to someone who did manage to keep her kids speaking. But then I was like, well, how's the dinner table? I always would ask that. Like, what was what's the conversation like at the dinner table when your husband is like, oh, we have like ten different conversations going on. My husband can't understand anything. <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't really want that. Like, I don't want. I want a dinner table where we're all talking and we're all having fun and. You know, my husband's very involved in the family and it's not like he's the separate, you know, person. So I don't know. It's complicated. I mean, also, I think generationally it's going to evolve and change, right? Like these right. Are the, these, as I see my parents get older, I realize that so many of their values are important and, and shape me, but are not the values of the future. Right. Right. And I think I am eager to be the best dad I can be and to like really like care for my children and tell them, you know, how important, how these things are important to me. But I'm also like, let them decide, let them like, like, let them put value on the things that need to be valuable in the future. I really do believe like generationally, we are different than our parents. The only problem is that there is a lot of resentment that comes from like a lot of the people that I talk to, they do have one parent who's Iranian and then now they're so resentful of like, why didn't my parents speak to me in Farsi at this point? So there's that also. You don't Oh my God. No, I I, I literally was like, why didn't my parents make me go to the gym more? Exactly. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Like you just watched me just like eat. 35 pizzas a week and never told me to go. Totally. No, I I hear you. Or like our kids are in cello right now. The seven and four year old. It's every Wednesday and every Saturday. And this Saturday I was sitting there. I was like, is this the rest of my I'm going to have to do that? Like, I'd rather be doing something else than like sitting here. But then I was like, you know, it's really nice. Like they don't appreciate it right now. But I feel like it's much harder for me 
<laughs> to do this on a Wednesday and Saturday, but I think like eventually they'll be like amazing that we know cello, you know? Yeah. I don't know. So it's No, yeah, I think you're right. You're right. <laughs> Kid kids are complicated. Kids are complicated. You can only try your best. Yeah. I told I told my my friend who just became a mom. She was also like really I mean, she's been a mom now for a couple of years. They have two kids, but but when they had the first kid, they were like, you know, having all these conversations about whatever, like best best parenting practices. And I was like, Yeah. I was like, You're gonna fuck up. <laughs> I was like, I, and she literally looked at me and she's like never no i can't like don't say that i was like of course you are like that's the whole point right i think that's the whole point of you know we are we are we are molded from our parents strengths and their flaws and if and if you don't have any flaws like yeah but i think having kids like what i will say is that it will force you to speak better and like if you do do this thing like from the very beginning just speak persian to them that would be my suggestion <laughs> yeah because it'll be good for you too like they don't know that you're messing up like and it'll make you better and then tuesdays we have spongebob farsi days and we watch spongebob and farsi which is amazing as spongebob from farsi where where are you getting that from so i should make a blog post where i put all this stuff up because there's i just like typed in spongebob farsi because i'd heard somewhere that they did a really good translation of it it is amazing they take all the jokes and it's all like culturally appropriate for kids they use like Iranian songs. The actors that they had do SpongeBob were amazing. So, I'm like, gonna watch that. I I'm, love I'm gonna watch watching that. it. I would recommend it. So you'll learn a lot, and it's all like the new, like contemporary Iranian speak. It's yeah. so good. Like oh, I didn't grow cool. up with SpongeBob. I'm older than that, but I love <laughs> SpongeBob Farsi. It's like, dude, I that's awesome. Very very cool. Yeah. So that's my suggestion. I'll I'll write a blog post about that. Those uh, resources. It's on something called Aparat, which is a little difficult to navigate if you can't read Farsi. But but yeah, so this has now officially been the longest conversation I've had. <laughs> so I know it just went by very, very so quickly. But is there any? No, it's perfect. Is there anything that we uh, haven't talked about that you'd like to add to? No, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's been a pleasure and I'm super excited to get this book out there and just to like continue meeting people and to continue being a part of the conversation and being a part of the the community it's it's beautiful like guys like we have we have such a unique thing happening right now and every day i'm, I'm grateful for it yeah yeah are you part of are you reading the shahnameh and ketop club i i was so that's okay. how I, st I started and then because of because of the book launch i just got like crazy busy and super right i fell behind and i'm gonna try to jump back in Okay. But I but I, I need to like really do a session, like a, a, a deep session. Yeah. Well, so I'll link to Kitab Club um in yes. the links to the show notes so that yeah. eventually I'm sure we'll read this as well in Kitab Club. But um also where do people find you? Where's the best place? Yeah, just like the internet. Okay. <laughs> also in Los Angeles, just wandering the streets. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm at Arya Shahi on Instagram and, and Twitter and all that stuff. But yeah, yeah, I think I think uh, yeah, reach out if anything So we'll resonates. link to all that in the show notes. This book comes out September 26th. So this uh, podcast will be released before then. As soon as you listen to this podcast, go buy the book because I've heard first week sales are very important in the book getting yeah, to <laughs> different yeah. whatever. But yeah, but, like it's it means a lot, guys. Like if anyone, if anyone, if this resonates with anyone, I'm, I'm going to be so, so touched. So thank you. Yes, please buy the book and read it. I'm sure. I mean, all these uh, messages that I get and emails that I get from people about their own experiences, I think this will resonate with you so much. And it's just fun to read. Uh, it was a lot of fun to read. And it makes you want to go read Shakespeare immediately. And, <laughs> yeah. and also, yeah, I wanted to. Oh, this is the last thing that I'll ask you. Um, 
I feel like in the past year or two, uh, I've been learning about Iranian rappers more. And one thing that comes up in here is about, you know, the cultural appropriateness of different modes of communication. Uh, he has friends that yeah. there, there's so much in the book. That, yeah, I'm you know, glad we got to this. This is, this is all day. Yeah. So have you has there been any experience that you've had with Iranian rappers now or have you been listening to anything or you want to talk about it a little bit? I listened to it. Yeah, I definitely, I, I, I listened to it. I think what's incredible is uh, I listened to a lot of Iranian rappers and then I started listening to a lot of uh, Arabic speaking rappers because I think as a rapper, something that, or hey, you look, as a songwriter, I don't know, this is going to take a really weird tangent, but as a songwriter, uh, one of the methods of writing songs is that you come up with melodies or in rap, you come up with your cadence by mumble rapping or by gibberish rapping, just da 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 boom boom, and like then you go back and write the lyrics. So it's hilarious that listening to rap in Farsi is kind of that for me. Like I'm soaking in the cadences and the rhythms that are more appropriate, not appropriate, but more uh, natural to Iranian rappers as opposed to the cadences and rhythms that are more natural and appropriate in the United States. So that's really beautiful. And then every once in a while, I'll catch like a phrase. I'm like, oh, heck yeah, I got that. I got that. Like that hit. Um, So yeah, I think the cultural conversation about rap is amazing. Like I could, again, I could do another hour about this because I I really genuinely believe that, you know, African-American artists have led the way they created the form, but rap is a form of folk music. It's music of the people. Right. And I, and I, I grew up, I grew up, I spent past 20 years writing folk music so i got into woody guthrie and like the 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 real folk writers wow. of, yeah and like and so for me i have this i really have a connection and i talk about it more in the terms of shakespeare and rappers in the book because you know when i i want to say this i didn't want this book to be that like super tropey you know high school English teacher brings rap into the classroom and, and like <laughs> kids get excited about language. I, that's such a, it's a, such a played out trope, but what's powerful I think in this book is it's the opposite. It's Omid finds rap and makes the connection on his own terms. And it's because of his relationship with Farsi that he's even able to do that. Right. Like all those three things kind of lead to this one moment in the book where he brings in a rap CD to his English teacher. <laughs> and it's like, she's almost caught off guard by like, oh my gosh, okay, yeah, let's, let's, I can, like, I can talk about this, I guess. It's really a part of his journey. And rap at its best is this gorgeous exploration of language and music and oppression. The, our responses to oppression are responses to the way the world sees us. When I rap, you know, I take on a, a more aggressive or heightened emotional persona, right? I'm either I'm I'm either writing from an incredibly vulnerable place or from an incredibly aggravated place. I think those are the two places where rap for me personally works best. And so yeah, I think I think the form is gorgeous. I think there's a lot of, you know, hesitancy about who owns it. I don't think anyone can own it, but I do think that it was very much created by the black community. And it's it's something that I have looked up to for years. And yeah, I don't know. It's 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 complicated. We I've talked to so many musicians about cultural appropriation and and what's correct and what's not. And you know, again, I go back to trying to have the best intentions, but also being super aware of your impact. And that's one of the reasons that like I'm not out here like trying to be a big rapper. Like I like I write rap 
as my own form of processing these feelings. And this novel feels like a much more true to form, you know, expression of like maybe who I am as a complete artist. But yeah, I've got like three rap albums that I've just like sitting on. I'm like, maybe one day. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) Well, cool. We'll have to talk more about this in part two of this conversation. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Arya Jun, for talking with me today and for for this wonderful novel. I really, really enjoy it. Thank you for sending it to me twice because I... Yeah, you got two, baby. You got two early copies. I do. I know. I know. Yeah, I'm amazing. very excited. Nah, it's it. Merci, merci for everything that you do, and for no, for having all these conversations and creating this space. Like I've, you know, I've messaged you. I've told you this, but it's, it's uh, incredibly important. You're doing really important work, and it's beautiful to witness. So thank you. Same to you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the conversation with Arya Shahi. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. To find out more about us and our Persian language resources, check out www.chaiinconversation.com with chai spelled C-H-A-I. There you'll find all of our language learning resources, as well as a lot about the Iranian culture and a lot about Persian poetry. Come learn some Persian poetry with us. And until next time, Khuda Hafez from Leila.